2: We are in a moment of massively high
0: debt levels and massively high inflation.
1: Inflationary pressures weren't caused by
3: economic policies. A lot of them were caused by a pandemic. We can't lose sight to that either. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from DC's top names.
2: There is so much speculation right now about the Department of Justice, and it's under a haze of questions. The
4: burden is on Congress to come up with an immigration plan that's
5: comprehensive. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. No new tanks for Ukraine. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the U.S. sends another $2.5 billion in weapons to Kyiv. But after a meeting of 50 nations at Ramstein Air Force Base, no new tanks from Germany or the U.S. We'll discuss the hesitation and the next Russian assault with former Secretary of Defense Mark Esper. Will Ronald McDaniel be fired as chair of the Republican National Committee? We have the latest on a tough contest. From Bloomberg political reporter Mark Niquette, only a week to that election. And the White House is reacting now to Florida's decision to reject AP African-American studies. We'll have all these stories and analysis from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano for the hour. Another pile of weapons on the way to Ukraine coming from a meeting of defense ministers from 50 nations at Ramstein Air Base in Germany. An important day here. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin rolled out another two and a half billion dollars in weapons and armor. That's from the U.S. alone. Listen.
1: 59 more Bradleys, 90 strikers, 53 MRAPs, and 350 up-armored Humvees. And this new package will also provide thousands more rounds of artillery.
5: What you did not hear was tanks. The big ask from Ukraine, as we've been reporting, no tanks from Germany or, for that matter, the U.S., though Germany was the big request. And that was, of course, the first thing reporters asked about. Here again is Lloyd Austin.
1: You heard the, the chairman walk through uh, some of the substantial combat power that we and, and some of our allies have, uh, have offer, offered to provide. Uh, there are tanks in that uh, in that. Uh, uh, those offerings. Uh, Poland, for example, it continues to offer tanks and will provide tanks, and other countries will offer some t- t- tank capability as well. I don't have any announcements to make on M1s, and you heard the uh, the German Minister of, of Defense say that uh, they've not made a decision on leopards. So.
5: And that's the big one there. He's referring to new German Defense Minister Boris Pistorius, who was asked about Berlin's hesitation to send German-made leopard tanks to Ukraine, dozens of them, uh, that Ukraine says it desperately needs here he is
6: we are not really hesitating we are just uh, very carefully in the balance and all the pros and cons we are not talking just about delivering anything to anybody this is a new kind of measure we would choose and so we have to be careful we have to be
5: careful this back and forth continues here while russia is busy digging trenches and laying mines ahead of what's expected to be a major assault in the spring. Germany, though, says, remember, it'll send those Leopard tanks if the U.S. sends these massive M1 Abrams tanks, which are two very different things. And this is where we start with Mark Esper. I'm delighted to say the former Secretary of Defense is with us for this important conversation. Secretary, welcome back. Uh, We are sending a lot, and we should start by acknowledging these armored fighting vehicles and some of the other things on the list Uh, that we are sending to Ukraine right now, how important will they be in in what we're apparently gearing up for a spring assault by Russia?
7: Well, first of all, thanks, Joe. It's great to be with you. Um, I think the last part of what you just said is important. You have to set the strategic context here. And from what I'm reading and picking up and the fact that uh, the director of the CIA went and briefed uh, President Zelensky on what Russia's plans are, according Mm -hmm. to the media, it tells me this, that Russians are clearly preparing for an offensive uh, in the spring. And uh, that means that uh, by that time, they will have been able to uh, organize, train and equip the oh, what 300 plus thousand conscripts that, that they brought into the service a few months ago and then probably, you know, give them the means to do what they need to do. So I the, the cha- I think what the NATO's allies are doing now is really trying to prepare the Ukrainians to withstand a Russian offensive. And I would argue, I think, better yet, prepare the Ukrainians to conduct a counteroffensive before that happens, this, the initiative. That's the key thing. And warfare, particularly given the situation we're facing right now.
5: So you want to see them break through those lines before uh, Russia begins the offensive. Start moving that armor in in that direction now.
7: Absolutely. The key thing is to to organize your force, seize the initiative, conduct the counteroffensive. And then what you do is you just keep the Russians rolling backward and backward and backward until you literally push them out of the country. And this is where mechanized warfare uh, takes the lead. Um, This is what the Ukrainians need, which is why it's important that we are providing strikers and Bradleys. Uh, the Brits are providing uh, vehicles as well. But what we need are armor, heavy armor, tanks, because tanks lead the push. They punch through the lines. They have the mobility, the firepower, and the protection to do so uh, while safeguarding the force. And that's the critical missing element right now. For the most part, the Brits have provided uh, promised to provide 14 Challenger tanks. But what you need are uh, you, you know tanks in the triple digits to make yeah. this real.
5: I spoke today uh, with Yuri Sack, uh, Defense Ministry Advisor from Ukraine. Uh, he joined us from our studios in New York wearing his fatigues, and it was uh, a, an incredibly enlightening conversation. He was really making the case for exactly what you're describing. Listen. Give us the tools and we will finish the job. This is such a simple formula to understand. Look, thanks. One thing is to use those tanks in Ukraine now when it is still possible. But if the allies don't
7: give us those tanks, there could be a day when they will have to use them themselves. Because I will repeat, Russia has no intention to stop in Ukraine.
5: So, Mark Esper, what is the timeline as we work this out with Germany, whether it's leopards, M1s, whatever end up there? How much time do we have before it's too late?
7: Not much. I mean, look, time is now. That's why I think we are moving now. It it takes, at least for the United States, of course, to ship them would take weeks. You have to get them to the uh, units within uh, Ukraine. You have to train up the soldiers, not just to operate them, but to maintain them. So this process could take uh, several weeks, a couple months. And then you look at the the, the timeline for the year. When does the weather start improving for either the Russians to conduct an offensive or the Ukrainians Mm -hmm. to beat them to the punch? And again, while it's important that we provided Bradleys and strikers, you would never send those vehicles into a battle against Russian armor. You have to lead Understood. with your own tanks. And that's where the the Germans become the critical component here.
5: I want to ask you specifically about the M1 Abrams tanks. Uh, I don't know if that's something you think that we should be sending, but the argument is that Uh, number one, you know, they're very expensive to maintain. It also involves a lot of training that would be necessary. Uh, And and they're, you know, look, this is something that the U.S. uses. It's not the same for everybody. They have a jet engine essentially in them. And as I understand, burn three gallons to the mile. Is that even practical for Ukraine?
7: No, I think the, you know, the German leopards are the better choice here. I've been critical of the administration for being behind the curve when it comes to sending other weapon systems and air mm-hmm. defense systems and, and and whatnot, but in this case, they're right. The the Leopard's the better tank. the The M1 is uh, far harder to maintain, to keep fueled, uh, etc. and um, and that's why I think it's important. So I, I think the administration is right on this one to uh, get the Germans to send their their tanks at this point.
5: You know, there are lawmakers like Senator Lindsey Graham who say, "No, send the M1s because that'll at least force uh, the the hand of Germany and get those Leopards in there." Do you think there's some strategy behind that?
7: Oh, I completely agree with uh, Senator Graham. I, I, I'd send a dozen tanks and, you know, park them in the western part of Ukraine, in Lviv, yeah. where, where we're familiar with. And, and if that if that clears the way for the Germans to do what they need to do, uh, then sure, go ahead and do it. But what we need are, uh, you know, dozens, hundreds of German tanks, leopards, not just from Germany, but other countries have volunteered to offer up theirs. It's just that the, right. those other countries need Berlin's approval to ship them into <laughs> yeah. Ukraine. That will unleash what the Ukrainians need and allow them to either break through, hopefully if they have time, and if not, defend against the oncoming Russian offensive. spring this offensive. is
5: incredible. So you're hearing this from a former Secretary of Defense. He would send a dozen now just to unlock this whole thing. It really would sort of uh, take the argument away from Germany in this case. And then, you know, Poland would do the same. We'd start seeing a little bit of a chain reaction here. Uh, right. Can I ask you about Russian forces as well, Mark Esper? We heard from Mark Milley today that... General Milley, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who says Russian casualties are now well more than 100,000. Is there going to be another uh, conscript? How does Vladimir Putin keep up with that?
7: Well, I've seen rumors in the press that they might do another conscript. Uh, They have announced that they're going to increase the size of their army from, I think, 1.1 million to 1.5 million. But uh, he he hasn't committed all the first tranche of 300,000 he's given so far. But Ukraine has become a meat grinder for them. And they have proven themselves to be not a near peer that the United States thought, but really a second rate, if not a third rate military with with nuclear weapons, however, but nonetheless, a second rate military power. And they're not just expending their young men, uh, which is the most important component in warfare, but uh, they're lacking, uh, they're lacking arms and ammunition and weapons and all the other parts and pieces they need to really uh, fight a war. So time is not on their side from a from a military standpoint, uh, arguably from a political standpoint, Putin thinks it's on his side.
5: You must be frustrated sometimes by these conversations, because I know for a fact you've been calling for a lot of this uh, heavy armor and artillery to be sent now for months. And now we're walking up against uh, what appears to be a very dangerous deadline, and it's still not resolved.
7: Yeah, I just think that we've been behind the curve. Uh, I mentioned before about air defense. Uh, we yeah. still never approved the delivery of the MiG fighters. Mm-hmm. We were behind on other weapons systems, and, and even now with the tanks and Bradleys. Now, there's no reason why we we can't or shouldn't have been training uh, the Ukrainians on these systems now for the last few months. Instead, we've finally gotten the first 500 uh, Ukrainians into Grafenvir, Germany, which is a, a large American base there, and we're training them on combined arms warfare. But will we be able to complete it and or train enough soldiers in enough time to be prepared mm-hmm. for this offensive. And that's the question. And just, it feels like we're behind the curve. Uh, so that's where I've been critical of the administration.
5: Yeah. Training is a big component there because again, you need time. Uh, former that's defense good. secretary, Mark Esper. Thank you, Mark, for coming back to see us author of a sacred oath. And we assembled a panel for their views on this. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here. Uh, Rick, we always learn something when we talk to Mark Esper, uh, Your thoughts on being behind the curve here, the great hesitation, uh, as it may be known someday, uh, from Germany. Why doesn't the U.S. move right now to just get on with it?
6: Yeah, look, this idea forwarded by um, uh, Senator Graham and and supported by former Secretary Esper, Mm -hmm. you know, to just call the cards, right? I mean, we don't have a lot of time. to fiddle around right and and so if germany's saying oh well we'll do it if the americans do it then then we should just do it right i mean like you're 100 percent right that it's probably not the best piece of equipment you know for uh the ukrainians but if it unlocks hundreds of units of the leopard two tank that germany has both in you know poland and other places then we shouldn't even bat an eye let's not play games uh you know, the Ukrainians are the ones spilling blood and, and losing their treasure over a yeah. war that they did not ask for. And, and it is really incumbent upon these Western nations to stop playing games and get back to the work of making sure that they have the equipment and the needs are fulfilled in a timely basis. Uh, it really is phenomenal to me that we don't have tr- tanks on the ground already. Why, mm. why are we waiting to this long to, to deploy this kind of equipment? It's not like this war hasn't been at this stage all along. And so, uh, before we you know get further down the road, uh, I think it, it's it's this kind of equipment, and it's also long range missiles, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. we've withheld the ability to hit the Russians uh, beyond their 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 lines uh, where they are building up this spring offensive. And why wouldn't we discourage the spring offensive by hitting them when they're building up and yeah. not waiting until they are in Ukraine? killing ukrainians
5: maybe there wouldn't be one and i look Jeannie. i know that this, we're, we're very concerned about what's going to happen in the spring but the fact is the white house has really gone out of its way to say there is vicious fighting happening now what's going on in the donbass is brutal and the casualties on both sides are horrifying there's concern about a, this turning into a war of attrition is is, is the administration behind the ball or are they not getting enough credit for yet another tranche of weapons being sent over today
2: yeah, I mean, I think they do deserve an awful lot of credit for the way they have managed this. I don't think a year ago any of us would have expected that they would have managed this so well, and the Ukrainians, as a result, would have done so well. That said, as Secretary Esper just laid out, what's coming in the spring, and you mentioned time is not on anyone's side here, is going to make the situation, which is horrible at this point, much, much worse. And, you know, Mark Esper, what you and Rick were just talking about, we heard Representative Moulton say it the other day that the United States should give a few tanks if Schultz wants to be in lockstep with the United States he said then the U.S. should give a few tanks if that's what it takes to you know move Germany and I think it's incumbent on all of us to remember why Germany is taking this stance and it's historical this is a very very long red line for them going way back to their Nazi past this is why this is such a hard political move for them it's deeply embedded in who they are today and it's going to take some work to Get them to move, and I think the United States has got to take the lead on that.
5: Boy, there's a lot. There's a lot there, Rick. Uh, how does this administration get around that? The asks have already been made.
6: The asks are made. Um, it's not like we're withholding spend on this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the Americans are doing an enormous amount. What's well, much more than, ac- in aggregate than the Europeans are. But like everyone is trying to work together. This, I don't mean to sound like you know we're unhappy with Europe's commitment to this. Uh, but but i would say both the u.s and the europeans have been behind the eighth ball you know they they send equipment after it's already needed Uh, it'd be nice to have equipment on the ground when it's needed and so uh, I think that's the pressure. Uh, and, and look, I mean, I get it. You know, there are historical issues, as Jeannie brings up with, with, Germ- with Germany. But, you know, Japan just doubled its defense budget. They've got issues too, right? Yeah. And they realize we're living in a dangerous world. And, and as much as we like to be informed by our past, we don't want to be held back by our past. And I think, you know, Europe would celebrate if the Germans took a bigger leadership role in, uh, in supplying the Ukrainians with the equipment that they need. Jeannie, the president was asked today
5: uh, about this and specifically uh, on others sending leopard tanks to Ukraine, you know, whether Germany does or not. Poland, for instance, he, he only turned around and he said Ukraine's going to get all the help they need. Is it good for him to say as little of that as that or does he need to say more?
2: You know, I I think he should be, uh, you know, listen, it's hard to be critical at this point, but I think he should be saying more. And I think the argument has got to be made that the Germany has a way in which, speaking of Poland and Ukraine, it can be empathetic with where they have been and where they are today. You know, you have people talking out there about Germany killing Ukrainians 80 years ago. Now they can defend them. It's that kind of argument that has to be made to move them over. Over this line. And I don't think we can forget how difficult this is for Germany and Japan, to Rick's point.
5: Boy, fascinating stuff. Uh, Rick and Jeannie, thanks for your insights. Great conversation with Mark Esper as we get the fastest hour in politics rolling on a Friday. Turning next to what has become a bitter fight to run the Republican National Committee. Mark Niquette will be with us along with the panel next. This is Bloomberg.
3: Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's stife dot com. Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE.
0: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
5: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The knives came out for RNC chair Ronna McDaniel after the midterms turned out to, well, not be a red wave. Though as she told Fox News when she was asked about this, she never claimed there would be one. Listen.
2: Listen, I, I, we never used the word red wave at the RNC because we knew the map had shrunk. There were less competitive seats because of redistricting, and we picked up 14 in 2020, and everybody forgets that.
5: Well, it hasn't gotten any easier since then, and we're about a week away from an important election here that's going to figure, uh, decide who's the next chair of the RNC. Enter Harmeet Dillon, a Republican lawyer whose firm you might know uh Harmeet from TV and radio represented Donald Trump, the RNC, uh, who helped win damages uh, from Stormy Daniels on f- former president's behalf, uh, might actually win this thing. It's it's an interesting situation we're in. Remember last time we talked about Ronna McDaniel, they were leaking receipts from entertainment, luxury spending and so forth. There was clearly a major effort to have her ousted. And by the way, she's going for, I believe, an unprecedented fourth Term, she's not new in the job. Uh, covering this for Bloomberg this week, there's going to be an important meeting followed by uh, the election on Friday. Uh, is Mark Neuket, Bloomberg National Politics Reporter? Mark, it's great to have you back. We haven't spoken in a minute here, and I'm glad that you're covering this for us. Uh, how much trouble is Ronna McDaniel in? What we're going to see. I mean, normally these are pretty sleepy affairs and
4: foregone conclusions, but um, it looks to be a very competitive uh, race uh... Ronald mcdaniel is telling us that she has the votes um, this is a, sort of a very clubby election you only need a majority of the hundred and sixty eight rnc members who are mm-hmm. eligible to vote for for chair to to win So uh, she only needs to get eighty five votes and she claims that she has well more than that uh... already committed to her but army Dillon is is making the case that uh, you know, this is a secret ballot, and you know, RNC members who are telling Ronna McDaniel to her face will support her. Will vote for mm-hmm. her when when the, uh, the the vote comes and the ballot is secret. Um, so we're gonna have to find out. Um, it's also complicating things that uh, Mike Lindell, the uh, my pillow guy, uh, is also That's a candidate right. and could you know. attract some of the uh, anti ronna McDaniel vote. Split the anti ronna McDaniel
5: vote. And, and that is my fault that I failed to mention. because he was the first to declare, uh, which we talked about at the time. Uh, Cutting ties with the Commission on Presidential Debates. Has that been a complicating factor here as well? Is that that part of the concern about Ronna McDaniel, or has that been embraced?
4: Yeah, I think that's that's pretty well accepted by the RNC members that they wanted to move on from the Presidential Debate Commission. They felt it wasn't fair to Republicans. Um, I, I think what's uh, causing ron mcdaniel the most trouble is uh, the, the case that Harmie Dillon and her opponents are making that you know republicans just haven't won under her leadership yeah. uh, republicans have had very disappointing uh, election results the last three federal cycles and uh, the argument is sort of if the team doesn't do well you should change the coaches uh, uh-huh. and and that's the case that Harmie Dillon is making to these members you know it's time for a change
5: and she would tell you, of course, right, we got a majority in the House and I just raised a lot of money for you. Uh, there's a group of about one hundred and fifty Republican donors who wrote a letter to RNC members in her support that would reinforce reinforce your first point that maybe uh, we aren't making enough of her base of support going into this election.
4: Yeah she released a letter today from uh, billionaire Diane Hendricks uh, also supporting her and um you know clearly as you said makes the case that it it is not time for change that you know she's done good things that have gotten results uh, at the RNC Um, And even if, you know, the election results weren't as good as Republicans wanted, Republicans still did well, well, Hmm. and she has set the party up for a successful 2024 campaign.
5: Well, so how much of this has to do with the turnout in the midterms versus the way that the committee is actually being run?
4: I think that's a lot of it. Um, in, In fact, you know, one of the interesting um, points uh, at, at this meeting will be, you know, uh, discussion about the, the role Donald Trump played in the midterms and and whether, you know, who leads the RNC and what that person's relationship to Trump is matters, uh, mm-hmm. because Trump was widely blamed for um, the, the disappointing GOP results because he handpicked a lot of candidates in key uh, Senate and and other races that. Um, just got defeated in races. Republicans thought they would win. Huh. So, um, you know, I think part of the discussion at this this winter meeting will be, you know, how much does uh, Trump bear blame versus whatever the RNC was doing or not doing to support candidates?
5: Mark Niket, great to have you back, Mark Bloomberg, national politics reporter. Uh, curious to hear from the panel on this. Rick Davis certainly knows the RNC inside and out. Rick, the, the story in The Washington Post, is that Ronna McDaniel's making the case internally that she's best for this job because she can prevent Donald Trump from forming a third party if he fails to win the Republican presidential nomination next year. Do you buy that?
6: Yeah, you know, I, that's a head-scratcher, right? Because, like, you wonder, like, what was the issue that she was addressing by saying that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it kind of undermines Donald Trump's presidential campaign with the threat that he might become an independent. Like, well, <laughs> wait a minute now, should someone call Donald Trump and say, hey, are you talking about quitting the party right before, right when you've announced you're running for president? Yeah. Um, I, honestly, I mean, this is the problem with Ronna McDaniels, right? I mean, she's not been a great chairman, and and the only problem— with that is that there are others who want to succeed her who might actually be even worse at being chairman. I mean, Hamid Dillon got 17% of the vote when she ran for the assembly in California. California hmm. has one of the worst Republican parties in the entire country. So what experience is she bringing to the table that helps win elections? Because that's the job of the RNC. It's not to fight in the courts other than to try and contest elections. It's huh. to actually register voters, advocate to them, and turn them out to vote.
5: Jeannie, I'm guessing Mike Lindell is not getting this.
2: I think not, but you know, I think Rick forgets what her claim to fame was. She announced on Twitter that she had gotten a breakfast sandwich, coffee, and donut from Dunkin' Donuts for only $10 as a sign of how frugal a ship she will run at the RNC. So I don't know if that will make Rick feel any better, but that was one of her claims to fame and one of the things she is running on that she has actually publicly announced to talk about dysfunctional. But, you know, the reality is, I'm not sure, but the Republican Party today seems to be, like focused on these contested leadership elections. This is the first time since 2011 we've seen this in the RNC. Of course, it was 100 years with the Speaker. So dysfunctional family comes to mind, and they're really trying to sort out who they are. And I don't think Democrats are that sad about this whole thing.
5: Uh, No, I believe you on that one. (laughs) Rick, tell our listeners why this matters. What is the RNC going to need to do to help Republicans for instance, take back the White House if, if they succeed in
6: doing so in 24? Well, first of all, for the record, I'm a Krispy Kreme guy, so being a Dunkin' Donut <laughs> prior doesn't do anything for me. Uh, but look, I mean, we're actually in an interesting period of time because we don't have a, a incumbent, right? I mean, and even though Donald Trump kind of wants himself to be seen as the incumbent, he's not. Uh, he's a former president who's been out of the game now for two years, uh, even though he tries to push himself into the game for you know every day. Uh, and 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 there are a lot of other candidates shaping up uh, for president. And and at the same time, where we always fall down is we we focus on the top, and we don't build out our capability uh, to build a grassroots organization, which is the RNC's uh, mandate. And so, in states like Arizona and Colorado and and Georgia where a few hundred votes matter, you know, to the outcome of these elections, we're not well equipped to contest that because we're not mm-hmm. turning our vote out. And so all the mechanics of the business have to be done by the party. And state parties look to the national party for guidance and resources and expertise. And if if we have a dysfunctional RNC, then those things don't flow down. And it's not a shock to anybody that we lose these elections by a couple thousand votes. Wow.
5: That's, there's a lot to think about there, Jeannie. Who would... Democrats prefer to have run the RNC Armie Dillon or Ronna McDaniel?
2: I think, Dylan, you know, listen, she likes her breakfast sandwiches. She likes them cheap. I think they prefer her. And, you know, the other thing below the presidential level is the Senate map is horrible for Democrats in 24. This should be a good year for Republicans if they can sort out some of these differences, especially at the Senate level. Because, again, the map for Democrats is looking very, very challenging.
5: So this may have a moderating effect, in other words, if if the committee ends up in the wrong hands?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it, any little bit would help Democrats in the Jeez. Senate level at this point. They're really going to struggle there, as we know. I mean, you look at everybody from Kristen Cinema to Joe Manchin. Yeah. These are races in red areas where Democrats really have a chance to pick up blue seats. So if they can get this together, it would really help them. But, of course, Democrats are hoping they can't do that in time.
5: You ever just pull into the Krispy Kreme when the hot light's on, Rick?
6: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Route one right down the street here. I mean, like I'm peeling it back. And wow, a Saturday morning oh, when yeah, the light's on and those fine. things are fresh out of the oil.
5: Oh, man, I can't feel so much better about myself. This, this is. I'm glad we had this talk. Rick Davis, GD Shanzano for the hour. As always, our signature panel on Bloomberg Sound On. We've got a lot more to cover here. News coming up out of Florida where the AP African-American Studies course has been rejected got the attention of the White House, and we'll have more on that next. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The DeSantis administration in Florida made big headlines when it banned schools from teaching critical race theory, even as a number of experts said it wasn't part of the curriculum. But now the AP African American Studies course is going away the florida department of education wrote a letter to the college board florida partnership and said that the content of the course is inexplicably contrary to florida law and significantly lacks educational value it's unclear exactly what was meant there the uh, department's office of articulation uh, didn't go further in depth but you better believe it came up in the White House briefing today. And interesting, you know, there are some things that the White House press secretary will talk about, and there are other things that they will not. This was one that Karine Jean-Pierre was ready for, acknowledged that the White House has no oversight, of course, of a state school curriculum, but then leaned into this decision. Here she is.
0: They didn't block AP European history, they didn't block our, our music history, they didn't block our uh, art history. Uh, the, but the state chooses to, to block a course that is meant for high achieving high school students to learn about their history of arts and culture. And uh, it is, uh, you know, it is uh, incomprehensible again. Uh, and I will just uh, leave it there. Leave it there to make, your own, uh, to make your own determination of why this occurred and why this happened
5: would like to hear the determination of our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and uh, Rick Davis are here. Jeannie, Ron DeSantis uh, got a lot of credit amongst uh, at least his base of support for the uh, what was it? The Stop Woke Act uh, for the Don't Say Gay Law. What's the what's the purpose of this?
2: Yeah and that was partly overturned by a federal judge but partly remains in place and you know I think it speaks to who Ron DeSantis is and what he's doing you mentioned he they they passed a law on critical race theory despite the fact it wasn't being, even being taught in those schools. And when you look at the AP class that has just been banned, it's only taught in 60 high schools in the United States and one in Florida. So this is not the biggest problem facing either Florida or the United States, if you believe it's a problem, number one. And number two, what we do know about it is there's nothing objectionable about it that they could point to. They didn't point to a law that it conflicted with in Florida. And it's something that focuses on teaching the African experience upon their arrival in North America. And it's hard to imagine how that could be objectionable and do anything but help improve race relations in the country where we desperately need them. And so from almost any perspective, it's mind boggling to see why a governor, except for political reasons, would be engaged in this kind of activity.
6: What's Ron DeSantis doing this time, Rick? Yeah, look, I, exactly what Jeannie just finished up saying. I mean, he is using his perch as governor to do things uh, uh, as governor of the state of Florida uh, with Florida institutions and Florida corporations uh, to brandish his anti-woke philosophy. And, and so, um, you know, what does he say? Woke, uh, Florida is a place woke goes to die. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, and so this is this is fundamentally how he is going to brandish himself politically. Now, whether that is in anticipation of running for president or you know just you know continuing to sharpen his political sword in the state, um, you know, this is how he's defined himself. It is the core of his campaign for reelection, where he did quite well, and so there is a constituency in Florida for this. Whether or not this will travel to places. Uh, around the country, if he decides to run for president and continues yeah. this rhetoric, it'll be interesting to see. Because when you start talking about prosecuting, you know, people for having certain undesirable books in their library, you know, or going after Ben and Jerry's and Disney and the NHL, I mean, like, you know, he's picking a lot of big names as enemies, and uh, and so it'll be interesting to see whether or not this works for him. That's a great
5: point. It's also true, Jeannie, that he's got a real nose for an opportunity, right? You know, whether it's putting. Uh, migrants on airplanes he he seems to end up in the right place at the right time to attract his base of support but when you consider him as a national politician I just want to be a little more specific here this is the this this ap african-american studies course is the college board's first new class in in what six years here uh, and as genie referenced set to cover more than 400 years of african-american history touching on topics Like literature, political science, geography, uh, part of a broader program in U.S. high schools here. So how does that appeal, a decision like that, appeal to a national audience, Jeannie?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the big question. And, and you nailed it when you said he has a nose for figuring out what is going to benefit him politically. Right. And I think what Republicans are going to have to determine across the country if he does choose to run, and what Americans, if he ever got the nomination, is this really what they want their president focusing on? I mean, what we're hearing is teachers in Florida report looking over their shoulder, concerned they're going to be disciplined or indeed fired because they have said or taught something that is objectionable. And let's not forget the damage being done to students this is a along with another new florida state law that restricts teachers from discussing sexual orientation and gender identity when they are teaching that is hurting young people in that state and this is i think why he's going to have a problem merging from florida or emerging from florida if he chooses due to, to the national scale scale because Why would Americans want a president who thinks these are the problems that he is going to be addressing? Address the economy. Address something that matters. Leave teachers to teaching.
5: Another way to look at this, Rick, uh, wouldn't accepting or embracing a course like this actually help to silence some of Ron DeSantis'
6: critics? Um, Well, I'm not sure he wants to silence his critics. Um, Remember, politics is a sport of picking your friends and... Fighting your enemies, and I think Ron wow. DeSantis has made a calculated decision that you know he can put together his friends and build a, a governing coalition. Certainly in Florida, but maybe potentially in the nation with this kind of conduct. And and that if someone wants to fight him for this, he'll go down swinging. Uh, wow. He's really not trying to build a coalition of people outside this mm-hmm. anti woke ideology. He's trying to own. The anti woke ideology and 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 get supporters that way.
5: Doesn't sound like somebody who wants to run for president in two years. But you tell me I'm wrong, Jeannie.
2: Yeah, we don't know know. yet. Yeah, I mean, and to Rick's point, he did very well in the last election. Now, let's be clear, his Democratic challenger wasn't, you know, particularly the strongest challenger. But I think the White House's point that they're not blocking European history, not blocking art history, not blocking music history, but they're picking on African American history is very, very telling. And I think it's going to make it very, very difficult for him if he does choose to move national.
5: It, he could win a primary though, Rick, and I don't know your thoughts on this. Is he thinking nationally here to get back to your point earlier? Yet, at some point have to change that strategy to appeal to a larger base.
6: Yeah, I'm not sure he has to appeal to a large. I don't I'm not sure he has to change that strategy strategy to appeal to a larger base i mean the example i would use is in virginia with governor youngkin yeah he used the same kind of school culture wars uh to win uh suburban voters in northern virginia that republicans have not been able to win because of donald trump and so i think we tend to be i think a little too critical at this stage without looking at where the coalitions are because there are a lot of parents you know who do not want identity uh, discussions in the classroom between kindergarten and third grade, which is what yep. that Florida law does. So when he says, hey, it's just not appropriate to have a conversation like that to a third grader, there are very few parents who don't scratch their head and say, yeah, what's wrong sure. with that?
5: But, but African-American studies in high school, you see as a different thing, right?
6: No, I think it's part of a package of those kinds of issues. I mean, you can pick and choose those as to which ones you like, but the overall theme is to find issues that you think are out of the mainstream for for families in america
5: more with our panel next on sound on this is bloomberg
6: success is more than a destination
3: it's a path you take one step at a time
5: It's your daily reminder from Innovation Refunds to see if your small to medium-sized business qualifies for a payroll tax refund. If your business was impacted by the pandemic, this is your opportunity right now to take control of your business's future. Learn more at GetRefunds.com. The Congressman George Santos says it's not true. Never performed as a drag queen. Have you seen the picture? You. Have Twitter. I'm sure you've seen the picture. A quote, the most recent obsession from the media claiming I am a drag queen or performed as a drag queen is categorically false. He tweets, the media continues to make outrageous claims about my life while I am working to deliver results. I will not be distracted nor phased by this. Uh, This all came about when a picture was released, uh, if you haven't seen it yet by a a drag performer from Brazil. It ended up in the newspaper down there uh, back in, I believe it was 2008. And uh, then this individual provided a more clear picture to CNN, and it's gone everywhere. It's an up-close, full-color photo of what appears to be George Santos in drag. Now, you know, and we're not, again, we're not talking the drag brunch in adams morgan we're talking rio de Janeiro here thoughts from our panel knowing that the republican party uh has sort of focused on the drag thing as a real offense and suggesting that you know they're grooming kids and so forth uh rick davis
6: you got two years of this in you uh, this is going to be just absolutely entertaining. I mean, the fabulous, sometimes known as Congressman George Santos, sometimes Anthony DeVolder. And now, right. as we have found out, Katara, his stage name. Yes, you like a that. A drag right? queen. I mean, like, this guy has more aliases than anything I've ever heard of. And, and look, I mean, he, he's telling us the truth, right? Well, he hasn't, he hasn't been accustomed to telling the truth as long as we've known him, which is all of about six months. So yeah. um, it's really it's really unfortunate for the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives. I mean, this is an embarrassment. Uh, it, I mean, we like to make light of it. it. It's got enormous entertainment value, which I'm sure we will dine on for the next two years. <laughs> right. um, but uh, it, it's, it's kind of unfortunate because this is exactly what undermines the credibility of politicians, parties, and government in the eyes of voters, when you yeah. allow this kind of, you know, uh, misrepresentation, obstication and, and like just outright lying about, um, uh, you know, your background or any other issues. So it, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I, I like to make fun of it. Uh, it is going to be entertaining, but it is unfortunate uh, to the House of Representatives that they have uh uh this really one bad apple uh that could spoil the batch
5: what's the problem with this development though Jeannie? what if you said yeah that was me we had a great party down in rio de janeiro i mean is what what's the issue uh with appearing in drag for for you know a publicly gay member of congress
2: there should be nothing wrong with it. And, you know, I was just listening to Rick with all of those names, and I was so glad you went to Rick on this first. <laughs> and it made me really miss Carlos Danger. Remember that whole oh, thing with Anthony Weiner? So, you know, it, it miss makes Miss is you... a
5: strong word.
2: Yeah, I, I'm getting re- reminiscing. Um, <laughs> it shouldn't matter. You know, to me personally, what mattered a lot more was these Navy veterans talking about how he took the money for their pit bull sapphire oh, who needed God, surgery. Right. And, you know, I think the reality with george santos he can't tell the truth and he hasn't told the truth and they are going to they being the state attorney general the feds everybody else need to follow the money including the money he took for the Pitbull sapphire and that is what is going to get him into <laughs> trouble right. because republicans are not going to apparently expel him
5: the brazilian a performer with the photograph tells cnn uh surprised to learn santos was a republican quote I don't know him now. I only knew him then. What'll we dig up next week? Rick and Jeannie will be with us to help us figure our way. Have a weekend. I'll meet you back Monday. What a week. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.